to all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Divas Podcast, episode 77. We are back in the building, man, each and every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. On all popular platforms, you get your podcast from. I am your host, Coach Defense. And I'm here to tell you, Lockdown Defense family, my head is spinning. It is completely and utterly spinning, and I'm in a whirlwind. And uh, I'm going to take a little bit of advice that I've given myself this week and if I'm currently working in the office, uh, come uh, free agency for the NFL, week, day one, week one, whatever day it jumps off, I might need to take the day off because I could not focus with all this drama and all these breaking, late-breaking stories happening practically every minute when it came down to all the news that happened in the past 24 hours, man. I'm here to tell you. And I say NFL is slick. <laughs> there's, some, there's, there's some slick customers because it is the NBA time. It is the NBA season. I, well, I literally stayed up late to watch the Bucks and the Jazz duke it out. Uh, you know, early before that, I saw the 76ers and the Nuggets go at it. You know, I'm locked into basketball, but I'm locked into basketball sitting on my couch with my phone in my hand. My Twitter's going crazy. I'm replying. I'm, I'm liking. I'm seeing all kind of news. It is madness. It is madness, you hear me? And it does not fit to be working in the office on, on this particular uh, Monday when it came down to all those news that came out uh, this week. And the league actually officially started, and everything's still popping. So, with that being said, I mean, we're going to concern most to get into the NBA. I got some few topics from the NBA perspective that I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, a few contenders in the Eastern Conference. There's about three teams that I want to talk about in length, and I want to get into exactly what is going on with those three teams and what I think about uh, their state of affairs when it comes down to where they're at at this particular moment. And then we're going to jump into NFL. We're going to get to right to it. The GOAT is back. I mean, actually, if you let you crawl up, just crawl from underneath a rock to hit my podcast this week. You should know that by now. But he's back. We're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss all the quarterback carousel that's been going on, all the movements that's been happening, as well as talking about uh, some few hot topics in, in, in the NFL. And then we'll get into the free agency signings. We'll talk about that in length. And I'll give you my overview of what I think it means for each team as far as those big name signings, air quote. And then we're going to drop a Chargers corner this week because uh, the Chargers, to me, you know, low key, they've been they dominated news like yesterday. Free agency news, they dominated it to me. I don't know about y'all, but to me, they dominated it, and I'm here for it, man. Of course, I'm here for it. So we're gonna drop a charges corner. We're gonna talk about exactly what they did in free agency, what they may do uh, going forward, and what the draft is gonna look like. So we'll get into that as well, and always we'll wrap up with the four quarter closeout. We'll give out awards or break our play of the week, lockdown definitive weekend. Make it out a big dummy of the week. I don't know yet. We'll, we'll stay tuned for that. So let's get into who's the news, man. Let's do it. So let's talk who's in the news. NBA edition. So, Mr. Kevin Durant. We're going to start with you, buddy boy. Uh, you know, you're my guy, man. Area guy, man. We grew up, you know, around the same neighborhood, right, literally right around the corner from each other at different times. You know, you're my guy, right? You know, you're my guy. You know, one of the best players, one of the purest scorers I've ever seen play the game. Um, in my, you know, 40, almost 43 years on this earth. Right. Um, but, uh, let's talk about your nets. Let's talk about it. Uh, Sunday, uh, in, in retrospect, we're going to talk about that. Um, you know, we'll get into the whole, uh, undressing of the 76ers later, but I want to talk about the home nets versus the way nets. Let's talk about that. So <laughs> Kevin Durant. And, and ceremonious and, and epic and extremely uh, talented fashion. 
uh, dropped a 50-piece uh, in Barclays Center on Sunday against the Knicks. All right. So, uh, you know, based upon his performance on Thursday and based upon his performance on Sunday, I would like to believe that Kevin Durant is back. And, you know, I was concerned that, that you know, him and Draymond and a few other people were going to rush back, you know, to save their teams, right? Because they were the missing links. Everybody's saying, hey, KD's the missing link for the Bull Nets. Draymond's the missing link for the Warriors, et cetera, et cetera. Brooke Lopez is the missing link for the Bucks, Right. So, you know, it's always that, that uh, you know, dicey situation, that uh, shaky moment, whether, you know, is a athlete really coming back in due time or is he coming back because he's needed? Which, you know, doesn't mean they're extremely healthy or they're 100% healthy like they need to be. It just means that they're back on the court. They're physically able to withstand the rigors of the game. That's that's really what it boils down to. Because I'm pretty sure, I, I guess, uh, an, I guess, an trainer, or organization, you know, the medical staff as a whole wouldn't allow you to play if they just knew you were physically unable and you could really do damage to yourself, you know, because you were trying to get back on the court. But, you know, it's one of those things with being physically able, you know, I would say 70% of, of yourself versus 100. But, you know, KD to me, you know, seemed like he has any ill effects. He's back to form, like he's his, his old self, which is great for the Nets. Uh, you know, but, you know, they need it, you know, because clearly James Harden is no longer there. Ben Simmons has yet to play. And uh, KD, you know, is pretty much by himself on home games because Kyrie can't be there yet. Uh, who knows if that would change? I mean, I've been covering this for quite some time. If you've been listening to my podcast regularly, is that you know I don't, I'm just not sure about the uh, mandate model. I you know at one point I was dug in, but this is before the new mayor got elected. But I was dug in on the fact that they were not going to lift it, especially with the Omicron variant being very rampant. I just knew they weren't going to lift the mandate. I just knew that they were going to literally ride into the playoffs with him being part time. Which is you know, again, it's not it's not a a model of efficiency and a model of a championship model. Let's let's put let's put it plain. It's not a championship model with him being part time. Now there's no James Harden. We don't know what you're gonna get from Ben Simmons, but it won't be a lot of scoring. Let's just keep that honest. So you know, you just left with KD. So my thing is this, you know, you the next team. This next team is you know it's a solid defensive team. They're not they're not overly competitive offensively. Um, they, you know, they had their moments. RJ Berry is starting to show some some signs of being a good score. Um, Julius Randle's he's he's okay. I'm not going to give him you know any upper echelon All Star annual accolades as far as it being a score. He he can get the job done in certain spots, but you know in some cases he's limited. And certain people that defend him know what what he can and can do and what makes him uncomfortable. I noticed that in the next game, the next game they just had on Sunday, but. But this team, you know, it's, it's, it's a competitive team. It's a decent roster. So they went, they went, you know, toe to toe with the Nets, and it literally took because they had no no other scoring threat on the floor outside of Kevin Durant. It took Kevin Durant every bit of that fifty point game that he had in order for them to win. So why do I bring that up? Because it seems as if, and this is the same thing, same problem LeBron James has. Uh, you know, he had that 56-point uh, game, I want to say, against the Warriors a couple few weeks ago, or a week or two ago. Uh, but it took every bit of that Herculean effort, two Saturdays ago, that's when it was. It took every bit of that Herculean effort for them to win the game. And it's the same problem KD has when they play home games. Uh, and I looked at the schedule, and down the stretch in this month of March, they have more home games than they do away. So, yeah, that's a problem. It's a problem because at, at this point, like I said, he needed every bit of that 56 points, 50. 52 points i want to say it was it was 50 piece it was 50 points or, or greater he needed every bit of that to win the game 
And that goes back to me uh, covering uh, this team in, in early November time frame, maybe early December. When you looked at this team currently constructed with no Kyrie and James Harden kind of, you know, lying in the weeds, this model that, that they were running under wasn't sustainable. And this it literally led to KD getting hurt. Um, you know, it's either he's going to tire out or he's going to get hurt. One of the two. With this model that they have currently when they had play home games because they need every bit of scoring from him and him to do the bulk of the scoring, a lot of it, for them to win games. And this is just against the Knicks team, who is a lower tier, you know, vying for a playoff team. This, they're not upper echelon. You know, so imagine when they play the Heat or they play the Bucks, the 76ers, you know, assuming that they don't have the same, you know, without Kyrie, let me put it that way, without Kyrie, you know, Chicago in, the, in that same space, maybe even the Cavs when they're healthy. So it's not a sustainable model. It's not a sustainable model. So uh, what do you do <laughs> is, is, is the next question. It's the next question. So, you know, it's, you know, it's just to, just to put it plain, you know, and, I, and, and this, this particular issue is exhausting when it comes to Kyrie and this vaccine, right? Because yet again, you've made, everybody in your team has made the sacrifice, you know, for their health, their family, themselves, and the team, right? They put all of that first. Because they're try- they're trying to accomplish a goal, but Kyrie is standing on some lame principle that is not catching on, you know. Because he, you know, maybe he has in his head that he wants to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, I don't want to call him a martyr because martyrs typically die, and then they were literally, you know, praised and worshipped after they're di- they're they're gone. But he wants to be a public, you know, figure, a social figure that's that excited some change, right? And quite frankly, he's the only one standing on his hill, and nobody else is. And he's is not ringing, it's not running true. It's not, you know, even with a new mayor, he hasn't wavered in his uh, ability to just up and change the mandate. He hasn't, you know. So it's you, you, clearly the movement that you're trying to, you know, your one man movement. I'm going to call it your one man movement isn't working, right? So at some point, you know, you got to rethink your. You rethink your philosophy, rethink your approach, maybe, or just you know, just get the vaccine. How about that? I mean, at this point, you know, it just it just junctures your team nature. You're getting down to the point where because you've been on this topic and on this train, you know, this this movement of yours, this one man movement of yours for the whole season, you know. And it's not that you, this this what me out about the whole situation. Is it's not the fact that he's concerned about the vaccine or he's anti-vax. You know, or he has, it's a political reason why he doesn't want to get the vaccine. It's none of that. He's anti-mandate. <laughs> so, it, so to me, it doesn't matter what the mandate is. It's he's anti-mandate. It's according to his words. He's anti-mandate. So if no matter what mandate they put in, where the vaccine or, or he can't chew gum in the locker room or something like that, I guess he's just anti-mandate, anti, I want to be told what to do. <laughs> you know, I, like I said, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. But I go back to the whole team model and team aspect of this particular outfit that is the Nets right now. There's the Brooklyn Nets. They are literally going to flame out with this with the way this team is currently constructed when he's not on the floor. And they're going to flame out. Because yet again, they're, they have no legit scoring or no, uh, I guess you can say, um, creative scoring when it comes down to uh, who's on the floor when K- Katie and Kyrie are not on the floor together, when they're not, when they play at home games. So like 
You know, Patty Mills is a spot up shooter. Ben Simmons is not a score at all. If he when if and when he plays. You know, Lamarcus Aldridge isn't a isn't a guy that's gonna, you know, in his later years gonna get, you know, the way the game is constructed now is gonna be able to create his own shots. You know, that thing, you know, those type of things. So you have a creative score of people that can create their own shots outside of KD and Kyrie. You need and you need every bit of that to win games. So again, you are we're at we're back at, at square one. We're back to square one where Kyrie is not getting the vaccine. And 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 I wanna point out one quick thing too. And I you know I'm, I'm unless I'm mistaken, going back to the game on Sunday. So Kyrie's on this uh, I'm not gonna be vaccinated because of a mandate business, right? But I'm pretty sure he was there with his girlfriend, wife, whoever she was, like his significant other. He was there with her, right? Because I even seen her walking to, in, together with him when he was leaving. He was in the arena as a fan on the side, on you know, front you know, front court, you know, court side, um, cheering on his team, right? As a spectator, because you can do that. Spectators can come in unvaxxed, right? That's 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 allowed. But guess what? <laughs> she had a mask on. So even your significant other wears a mask. He's out there, no vaccine, no mask. But I'm willing to bet she's vaccinated and has had a mask on to protect herself. So your significant other is even wearing masks and trying to be safe, but you're not. It's completely and utterly wild to me. You know, and he wants to act like he's the victim and all this type of stuff when, let's be honest, I haven't heard anybody. I think everybody's exhausted. You know, and even people that wanted side in the beginning, they're just like, look, I'm just I'm over it at this point. He can just choose to get the vaccine and it would just all be dead. And he can play every night. And they quite frankly, they need him. And that's the issue. So that whole ordeal, you know, because they asked KD about this particular situation at the press conference after they beat the Knicks on Sunday. So he made some scathing comments to the mayor because he didn't understand exactly why, what or why they still have this mandate. But, you know, but the mayor had made it clear that he wasn't going to change or uh, alleviate the mandate uh, just for one person. You know, Kyrie isn't bigger than a city, which is true. He's definitely not bigger than the city, not bigger than the health of other people. So this mandate, whether you agree with it or not, is in place for the safety of, you know, certain parties. And, you know, this is the mayor. This is how the mayor feels. You know, I'm not I'm not speaking on my own regard. I'm speaking what the mayor has been saying in the media, you know, so it's it in place. And he needs to see the evidence that it can be lifted before he does. And that's for the holistic health of, you know, people that are working in spaces in New York City. Right. So, again, he doesn't have, you know, he's not going to make concessions for Kyrie. Okay, fine. Which he shouldn't. But then KD doubles down on the comments about saying that, you know, he doesn't, he, he didn't feel like the mayor needs him, you know, lifted and he, he's stupid and he don't understand why exactly is even in, in place at this point, you know, advocating for his guy. Cause you know, he needs this guy on the court and that's all, this all the what it drills down to this, all the, all what's behind all this. So he's shooting shots in the mayor now. Wow. Wild, wild times. So who, you know, it started out spicy, and then Monday afternoon, he issues another statement that was way more political, saying that he, you know, understands what the mayor is going through and understands it's, it it's not just about one guy, but he still feels as if they should lift the ma- mandate. Okay, fine, but yet again, this is, you're advocating, this is, this is the issue I have, you're advocating for a guy to be unsafe, you know, in a mandate versus it be about him being about the team and putting the team first because let's be real and this is my issue about this whole situation and it's been my issue from the beginning 
is that Kyrie doesn't put you guys first. He didn't put Katie first, his, his best friend. He didn't put anybody on the team first. He didn't put the, the holistic goals of the team above himself when he's supposed to be a team player. And that's my issue. So, you know, you want to argue and advocate and, and, and fight for his right to choose, air quote, right? But he still will, will yet, again, walk around unvaccinated, you know, and it, we're still in a pandemic. Although everybody in the media, because especially with the war going on overseas and things of that nature, people are trying to make you forget that there, there is a virus out there still infecting people. You know, the former president, Barack Obama, just got the, vac- just got the COVID the other day. I want to say Saturday or Sunday, he got diagnosed with it. So people are still getting it. So it's not like it's over. It's not gone. You know, they listed listed mask mandates and did all these things to try to move forward, right? But it's still out there. It's still out there. And until, to me, until they find a more robust vaccine that protects you better and, you know, could ultimately prevent you from getting it, it's completely still not safe. And what if, again, you know, protocols being what they are in the, in the NBA now, you still could have issues with people who fall into health and city protocols because Devin Booker just went through it for, for what, a week and a half? He was in safety protocol. He missed a week and a half of games with Suns. So it's still possible that you can lose people that you need because people come in and, and, and introduce the virus into the locker room. And guess what? People got to sit out because they're sick. So I say all that to say that this is all driven on people at, and on this team and this organization advocating for Kyrie to be unsafe. And that's just totally, completely, utterly backwards to me. And I don't get it. And I don't, I don't, I don't fault the mayor for not lifting and, and let it be in place and let this, let this whole particular um, construct of the nets fall apart because in a, in a real, and everything that will be the issue with why the nets will fulfill their promise is it'll, be, it'll fall at Kyrie's feet because he's selfish. And that's the bottom line to me. You know, shout out to Stone Cold Steve Austin. All right, so let's move on. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm done talking about Kyrie for the moment. So let's talk about uh, the 76ers. Um, <laughs> last Thursday, they were completely and utterly embarrassed by the Nets. I mean, almost a 30-point victory. Uh, at the You know, or the, I guess the, for the 76ers, a 30-point defeat. A 29-point, to be exact, a defeat by the hands of the Nets. And this is again was a way game. Uh, ben Simmons is a return to the uh, Philly area. Um, you know the, the fans got to see him again for the first time in God knows when. So uh, it was big. It was a big how to do. You know security was ramped up. Tickets prices were higher. I mean it was a big thing. It was almost like a playoff game. Although Ben didn't play, you know, which I found weird because he suited up in warmups and he he dunked the ball and did a few things around the basket. So again, yeah, to me, to me, to me, it tells me he's healthy. But that's a whole other conversation. So <laughs> you get to the actual game once all the fanfare and all the, you know, dramatics are over, right? And uh, you get to the game and uh, it was what competitive at all. <laughs> like it was literally a dropping, um, you know, and maybe, maybe the, the Nets, especially, especially Kyrie and KD knew something about Harden in his game that a lot of, mo- a lot of people don't really know or wasn't really completely and utterly aware of because he played awful. I mean, he played awful, horrible and awful in the same breath. He played awful. It was horrible. <laughs> I mean, there's no way, two ways to put it. And it seems to me as if it threw off the rhythm of the entire team, because I mean, again, this team is a small sample size of what it ultimately was going to be because they haven't been together that long. 
you know, they literally made the trade right before the trade deadline. So he's been there, you know, less than a month. Right. So, you know, I think and he didn't play right away. So he didn't, I mean, he's been on the court less than that. And he took a game off because of his hamstring. So he's, you know, probably about four, about five, six games at this point, he's been on the court with him up to this moment. So, you know, it's not, you know, it's not like they've been together for 82 games, you know, it's not that or 50 for that matter. So it's still in its infancy, but I, I tell you what, what was very glaring to me is that how much he affected his whole entire team, because you have to look at the team how it's currently constructed. You have Harden and Embiid, and then you got a bunch of young guys. You know, Seth's no longer there. Tobias Harris is a veteran. I'll give him credit for that. And he's trying to figure his way out and figure where he fits at in his role, what his role is in his team since their reorganization in the trade, right? But but the overarching and most glaring event to me was the fact that when James Harden is off and he's being uh, stymied or frustrated or being uh, harassed, you know, for lack of a better term, it, this this team is completely and utterly different. You know, they, it seemed like the the young guys were shell shocked, and B was trying his hardest and trying to force the action and try to get his points, but ugh, it didn't look like the team that was undefeated with Harden on the floor up until this point. So, um, I don't know, man. <laughs> the, 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 the the Nets know something, and um, it's might it might be a microcosm or a blueprint. Of what could what could be to come for the for the for the 76ers because of this. You know, people watch film, people watch TV, watch the games, and they see what happens when James Harden is going through these these laws and these slumps. And if you can make it difficult for him and how they change the dynamic, because he's so ball centric, so ball dominant, that it really it literally messes up the ebb and flows of how everything works with this this team, then that could be a recipe for the rest of the league to take notice about. Just, just remember that. Just remember that, because if it if it becomes out that this team starts to struggle uh, holistically from here on out, then guess what? Everybody's taking a page out of the Nets book and what they did defensively. And let's be honest, the Nets are not made uh, built by defense. They're not known for being really efficient defensively. They're known for offense, and they were able to stymie me and and uh and frustrate Harden. So if they can do it, a good defensive teams like like the Heat and and uh, the Bucks and teams of that nature would definitely uh, take heed and make it even hurt, harder for him to, to be effective. So I would definitely watch this and keep an eye on it. And um, and I'll double down on some uh, interesting facts about what's going on since then. Uh, they are one and two since in the last three. Uh, so they lost to the, they lost to the Nets on Thursday, but badly. They barely beat the Magic, who is a lottery team. They're in the barking basement. They're at the very bottom of the standings. They they, they beat them by two in overtime. And now, I mean, you mean to tell me they struggled against the, the Magic. And then in the back-to-back, they lost again to the Nuggets last night. It was a competitive game. It was back and forth. But even but the Nuggets are not even full strength. So you struggled with a, a, you know, I won't call it a makeshift roster, but you struggled with a – uh, injured roster in in the uh, in playing the Nuggets, so so you have to ask the question: Is the honeymoon over? Um, like I said, they barely beat the Magic and they lost to to two uh, playoff teams since you know since the, the the well yeah they lost to the Nets and they lost to the Nuggets. So two out of the three they've lost. So I I would watch out. <laughs> say that and and what's 
what's the most telling about this situation is this is that this is going this is going to be interesting how the team responds as a whole because now they're facing some adversity so they were undressed by the nets they were beat by the nuggets they barely beat the magic so here going forward the next five or six games we need to watch closely with a microscope to see exactly how they respond and how can they uh i guess you can say tweak their approach to the game especially offensively to allow for them to be able to be effective again and kind of you know a little bit you know i want to say reinvent yourself but i would tweak your approach for sure just to make sure that people have have to defend you multiple ways um and you know they can you're not just coming down to the court doing the same set every time because if you do it's very high, very predictable highly uh defensible let me put it that way it's highly defensible so I would definitely, uh, if I'm Doc Rivers, I would definitely look into changing some things around. You know, maybe shake up the lineup a little bit. Um, you know, run some different sets for different guys. Maybe get Tobias Harris a little more involved early on. Something to take the pressure off of Embiid and Harden because uh, you know if you can limit their their approach to the game and limit their their effectiveness on the stat sheet, it'll be a long night for the 76ers based upon what we've seen in the past three games. So. Yeah, so with that being said, the last bit of this particular issue and whether or not the 76ers' confidence, confidence is shaken is James Harden. Because honestly and truly, he's been bounced around at this point. You know, he started OKC, he was in Houston for a good long while. Uh, he, then he moved on to the Nets and then he ultimately got traded to the 76ers, right? Now, he's not getting any younger. And the narrative around James Harden is that, uh, you know, although he's a good one-on-one offensive player, you know, has been for several years, right? You know, he is the narrative around him is that he shrinks in big games, you know, and you all, all ultimately you can truly call that particular game against the Nets, Nets was uh, a big game. You know, it had a lot of uh, playoff atmosphere around, although it wasn't a playoff game. So it had a playoff feel to it. So that tells me that, you know, he had that nervousness or that itch that he normally gets when he plays in playoff games and he underperforms. So. To me, at this moment, this time, this is the last. This is the last chance James Harden is really going to have or be able to change the narrative around him. He's going to have to dig deep and figure it out how to step up and be effective in the playoffs. You know, and I, I go back to quote the late great Kobe Bryant saying that he didn't like James Harden's game because he felt like that although it's pretty to watch in the regular season, it didn't translate well to playoff basketball, and it hasn't up to this point. He hasn't been wrong. So James Harden has to figure something out in order to change the narrative around him because ultimately, truly, if he never gets past this point, he'll be ultimately judged in his legacy on not being able to uh, show up in big games. And that's always going to be a knock and push him down the totem pole as far as where he ranks as an all-time player. So you got to change it. I don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to do it because that's literally on him and him and his psyche. But that's what he has to do in order to be able to ascend uh, past the uh, criticism that he's gotten for his lack of a production in the playoffs so far. So he's got to step up and figure it out. And he's he's got a great opportunity with an MVP caliber player like Embiid on his team. You know, he hadn't had that. He never had a dominant big man to play with ever in his career. Never. So here's here it is. all laid out for you. Either you put up or shut up. That's where it lies. All right, so let's move on to the third topic of of NBA's uh, Who's in the News segment. And uh, let's talk about the Heat. The Miami Heat uh, are the number one seed, if nobody's been watching. 
They're the number one seed in the whole entire Eastern Conference. So um, why aren't people talking about that? that? That's my question. Why aren't people talking about that? I'm very curious about why that's not more of a story. They're 45 and 24. They're seven and three in their last 10, all right? I believe they got, I believe they're like 14 and, and three in their last um, 17 or 18 games. Uh, 11 and two in the division, 24 and nine at home. A little bit shaking the road. They're only 21 and 15 on the road, but one and three in overtime. But this team is literally the number one seed and they've been hovering around that one seed all season, practically. Well, I'm going to say this. They've been hovering around ever since they've been healthy. They were sent to the number one seed ever since they've been healthy. So, you know, because Bam was hurt early, Jimmy was hurt for a while, uh, things of that nature, you know, um, Duncan Roberts, a few other people, they had just given Victor Oladipo back, period. So they are, uh, once they're right and full staffed, <laughs> they are, are literally, you know, one of the best teams out there. And nobody's talking about them. Nobody's giving them any type of kudos or respect, the fact that they are, um, you know, a team that could ultimately be there at the end, you know. So I'm just curious exactly why they are getting the respect they deserve. I'm very curious about that. So, so you, that, to that again, that begs the question about exactly what is up with this team and why people aren't paying attention. Now, now you could say that you know there are, you know, there are other storylines dominating the news, so they just aren't being talked about because you know the 76ers and the Nets and 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 the Bucks and all those teams are more interesting, but. Again, they're the number one seed. I mean, people are talking about the Suns, you know, all the time. So why aren't they talking about the Heat? So, you know, I'm I'm truly curious about that, and I want to put that on people's thought process and their mind and their and their uh, radar to say that you know this team is built to win. It really is. I don't see any a whole lot of holes in it. And let's let's not forget that this team at its core, there's some different pieces around here now. But this team as a whole was in the finals a season ago. Like, you know, they had this past season that just the Bucs won a title. And the season before that in the bubble, which wasn't even a full year ago, was literally, they were literally in the finals and went to a game six. So why is, why are we talking about this? I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. But again, I'm not, again, because I'm a person that pays attention to, you know, you know, every, try to pay attention to every facet of what goes on with, you know, at least with playoff teams. I want to say, I mean, I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not watching Magic games every night. I'm definitely not doing that, but I'm, I'm watching, you know, print, you know, contenders. And to me, they're a contender. Why are people talking about it? I don't get it. Because I really feel like this roster is built to win. I mean, they have a, 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 a undisputed leader in Jimmy Butler. Let's just start there. You know, leading the team in scoring with, I believe, 21 a game. Um, they have a, a bona fide big and bam out of bio that nobody's giving respect to. He's a baller. He's having a double-double a game. You know, and I've seen him go toe to toe with Giannis and and uh, Joker and uh, and Rudy Gobert and you know all the you know Embiid. I've seen him go toe to toe with these guys and and get the best of those matchups in certain regards. And nobody's giving them respect. I don't. I just don't understand. Uh, you know, you got Tyler Hero, who is likely the sixth man of the year, averaging twenty. You know, I believe he's the second leading scorer, and it's just because I'm Embiid is just under twenty at nineteen in the game, and Hero off the bench is averaging twenty. So in the end, nobody's talking about it. I mean, this team has, you know, I think that with the roster moves they made, they kind of gotten a few people out of the building that were infringing on other people's roles. You know, this is going back to my, my conversation about the Chicago Bulls and how they are balanced, they're balancing and where they're built. 
You know, they don't have a whole lot of guys that infringe on other people's ability. You know, you don't have a bunch of guards that all do the same thing. You know, everybody has a different uh, skill set, you know, and that's good because you will need different things in a, on a night in and out basis, night in and night out basis to be able to win games. You need that. You can't have everybody doing the same thing. Can't have 10 Jimmy Butlers. Can't have 10 Bam out of Bayou's. Can't have 10 Tyler Heroes. You need everybody with different uh, skill set and different abilities to, um, you know, change and manipulate the game. So, you know, that's to me, I think they're are balanced, they're balanced and they're well constructed. And again, nobody's putting any respect on their name. I mean, let's just be honest about it. It's just, I mean, I, again, I just can't, I just can't fathom why. I just don't get it. You know, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to crown them and say they're going to beat the Bucks and the 76ers and the Nets and those guys in seven games. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that they are legit in the sense that they are, have earned their right to be the number one seed. They have done that. And it hasn't been by default because everybody's been hurt. They beat good teams. You know, they beat Brooklyn. They beat the 76ers. You know, they beat these, they beat a lot of teams, you know, and it's not, you know, it's not lost on me that they are truly, you know, here to stay. You know, I mean, just look, let's just look in the past, you know, several games, you know, they, they did lose to the, 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 the uh, on the, they did lose to the Suns, you know, pretty bad. I will give you the, the Suns a lot of credit in that regard, but they beat the Cavs recently. They beat the 76ers recently, they beat the Nets recently. They lost to the Bucks by one. They beat the Bulls. They beat the, the Knicks. They beat the Hornets, you know, they beat the, they beat the Nets twice recently. So, I mean, they beaten decent teams, you know, they beat decent to good teams. So, you know, it's not like they don't, they walk, they, you know, they don't have the Boston thing where, not the Boston thing, but the Bulls thing where they beat, good, you know, mediocre teams and they can't beat the good teams. It's not that. They definitely are competitive and or have beaten contending teams over this stretch. So, again, just keep it on your mind. Keep it on your radar because I really feel like that the the uh, Miami Heat could shock people, you know, because I really feel like the way they're currently constructed, they're built to be able to, uh, you know, sustain a run. Um, and I, I got them winning one series for sure, and maybe two, depending on what the matchup is in the second round. You know, again, um, I'm still riding the idea that it could be a 76 Bucks finals, um, you know, right now, based upon how everything shakes out. But again, I just talked about how the 76 confidence might be shaking. So if they come up against the 76 and their confidence is a little bit, little bit shaky when it gets to the playoffs and they play the heat, they could, they could, he could very well send them home. Let's not act like they can't. You know, so let's just let's keep an eye on it, you know, because you know, having P.J. Tucker being a physical guy, Duncan Robinson shooting well off the bench, Victor Oladipo being a backup point guard, Kyle Lowry running the point, you know, Jimmy Butler being the, the leader, Bam Adebayo being the dominant big, Tyler Hero being the, the, the instant offense off the, off the bench with his 20 points a game. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, Marquise Morris is now back in the fold. So I think this team is ready, man. I really do. So I just think people are underreporting the idea that they're a good team. So just understand that they could truly be in the conference finals without any provocation, you know, and they really could, you know, I guess it, it, it might, it might matter who they match up against. And if they have one seed, they're going to get the easier matchups. If they stay in the one seed, they're going to get the easier matchups. All they got to do is keep winning and they'll, they'll play have home court advantage throughout the whole playoffs and get the low, get the lower in matchups in every series. So just watch out, man. If they remain in one seed, it could be, a Heats and whoever else conference title game. I'm just saying. So that's going to wrap up uh, Who's in the News for the NBA segment. We'll uh, take a quick break and we'll be back with NFL headlines. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast.
Lockdown Defense family, Coach Defense here, reminding you that the Lockdown Defense podcast comes to you each and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also AHA Radio. And here lately, the YouTube page has been taken off, so if you subscribe to that, if you have not, turn your notification bells on so you never miss an upload to the channel. The Lockdown Defense podcast comes to you each and every week, breaking down the news and views of yours truly, giving you heavy-hitting content, educated opinions on the NFL, NBA, Lakers, and Chargers news as well, my home's base squads. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop for edgy, real opinions and news of the popular world of sports, look no further than the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Also, if you're looking for me in between podcasts, follow me on any all of, any and all of my social media platforms. Uh, Lockdown Defense Sports for Instagram and Twitch. On Twitter, it's Lockdown Defense. And as I actually had a bonus, if you want to get in and get some questions answered in our mailbag, send me a DM on any of those platforms, or you can email me at LockdownDefenseSports at gmail.com. Uh, get those questions in anytime between now and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time each and every week to be eligible to be on the show. The Lockdown Divas Podcast, once again, each and every uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. on all platforms we get your podcast from. So please tune in, subscribe, and turn your notification bells on so you know exactly when we go live. Now back to the show. back with NFL headlines. It's the Lockdown Davis podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man. Oh, man. Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. He just couldn't let it go. <laughs> and honestly and truly, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I really am not. Uh, I really feel like he wasn't done. I really feel like he had a lot left to give the game. He had a lot left, left in tank. I mean, he had literally, you know, we're talking about gas prices and how bad they are, but we had a lot left in his, his own personal gas tank that he can still uh, play and give uh, more to the game. And uh, he decided on Sunday that he decided that he wasn't done playing. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm here for it, man. I really am. I really, when he, I reported it, I, you know, I talked about it, you know, and what it meant, you know, for him retiring. And I wished him well, even posted some of my social media about him. And all that good stuff, but you know, I felt in my mind and back of my mind and my heart of hearts that again, it just I've never seen a guy, you know, from uh, especially one of the all time greats leave the game on, on top. They never do that, you know. Michael Jordan never did it, Kobe never did it, you know. LeBron, I'm not sure what he will do when he finally gets done playing, you know. But most of the greats, you know, don't go out or leave the game until the game runs them off, you know, just to put it plain. Uh, you know, they were, you know, literally beat up physically or beat up mentally or both, you know, then they decide to hang it up, you know, then it's still, it might be some, you know, less productive years in that, in that space when they lean towards getting to that point where they retire. Right. But Tom Brady was the second uh, leading vote getter in MVP conversation. 
this year. He this past year, he led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns. The only thing that he didn't lead the league in that Aaron Rodgers did, who won the award, was passer rating. You know, interception total. Those two things. Everything else he had him beat. So he got, you know, he was the second leading vote getter in the MVP race. So that to me tells me that hey, if you're getting it, you know, coming in second with the MVP race, you know, in any space, in any position, skills, set any position, you still got a lot left in the tank to, to play the game. So, you know, I'm it was a mild shocker to some people that, you know, because you know, I think for me and most other people that that heard the news and was like, okay, he's back. They were mainly to the point where they're saying that, you know, it was a little bit of shock or maybe mild to them and me is because that Tom typically, when he makes his mind up to do things, that's what he does. You know, he doesn't waffle. He doesn't, you know, tote the line. He doesn't, you know, I'm going to do this one day and, and change my mind the next. So he's not iffy. He's very deliberate in what he does. So, when you know, it's one of those things, you know, if, you, if, you, if your father says he's he, no, that means he means no. There's no change in his mind. You know, it's one of those, it's kind of that mentality. Like he has that mentality. You know, when he he means what he says, he says what he means, and that's just it. So, why is he back? Why is he back? I, I want to say this. I think that what really drove Tom to retire in that in that space is because it got leaked that he was going to retire. Like it's from a reputable source. Like I mean, when Schefter and Rappaport and those guys were reporting that he's likely going to retire from a leaked source, you know, it means he was thinking about it. And he confided in somebody that he trusted, and they leaked it. Um, so that kind of forced his hand, in a sense. So I think that's really what led to him retiring prematurely. What I really think he wanted to do, and this is what I suggested to him, if you go back and listen to my podcast and what I talked about, uh, what he should do um, at, as the season ended, because I think I did it in my What's Next segment. I typically, you know, when teams get eliminated from the playoffs, I typically do a What's Next for them. And I talked about Tom and what he should do and should he come back and all this type of stuff. And this is what I said. I said that he should... Uh, talk to the GM, talk to Arians, you know, because, you know, they were still trying to work out who's going to coach and who wasn't. You know, was Arians going to stay? He's going to go left, which stay, go. Bowles, you know, were they going to get head coaching jobs, which they didn't. But, you know, regardless of that, they were, you know, trying to say, you know, trying to work all that out. So once they got all that got, you know, vetted and shook out, you know, we, you, we all come together, the GM, the coaching staff as a whole, we all sit down and we say, okay, where are we headed? You know, what our money looks like. How can, how can we reconstruct the roster? Who can we bring back? Who we got to let go? You know, all these things. And that was going to ultimately let Tom know whether or not he was going to be able to come back and compete with, you know, to, you know, to try to win another Super Bowl. That's really what all it's about. It's Super Bowl to bust the time every year at this point. There is no, you know, coming back for stats or because he has all the records. See, he's not coming back with stats. He's not coming back to for the, just for the love of the game. He's coming back to make a statement, win games, win playoff games, and win the Super Bowl. He wants another Lombardi. He wants another ring on his finger. You know, I mean, he could, hell, if he, want, he could, if he could fill out that whole entire two, ten fingers of his, he probably would. You know, that's, it, it's, that's what it's all about. So, you know, I think that, you know, he wanted to ultimately truly know what his chances were in, in order to do that. And I was with, that was back when the, the NFC was constructed the way it was constructed before all these moves. You know, because you still have Russell Wilson in Seattle. You know, we didn't know what Jim Garoppolo was going to do in, in San Fran, whether he's going to stay, he's going to go. Trey Nance is going to play, where he's not. Kyler Murray, was he unhappy, was he not? We didn't know none of this. Was Aaron going to stay in Green Bay? We didn't know. You know, who, who was going to be the quarterback for the for the commanders? You know, we, we didn't know none of this. You know, was Dak going to still have his receiving core? We didn't know none of that. So, you know, when all those things, things shook out, you know, Tom looked at it like, okay, it's – the cupboard's bare in the NFC now. 
you know, and uh, only team that's truly, truly giving me an issue or or it's going to be a comp- competition for me now at this point is going to be the Rams and the Packers, maybe. So he's like, well, hell, I mean, it's going to be a cakewalk. My division's horrible. You know, even we come back with a team, you know, 75% back, you know, versus 100 like they did last season. It's still going to division. <laughs> Easy. Still win a division, you know, and then they play a first place schedule, so they'll play the Packers, the Cowboys, and and the Rams. So they'll they'll get a crack at those guys early to see what they have, you know. So uh, I would definitely say for sure that uh, you know that led to him, you know, ultimately, you know, coming back. But you know, like I said, that was my advice for him to get from the get go. Sit down, talk to Arians, talk to this GM, and things of that nature, and say what 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 are our chances and how can we bring things together and then make a decision from there you know but i think that this the the leak messed him up and he just decided so he could get in front of it just to retire and once he sat home for a little while realized that the kids got their own things they're not home every day to play with dad and you know the giselle she's off doing her own thing she's playing uh you know she's doing her model thing she's uh you know playing her, her part in her business and things of that nature you know it's, ain't but so much golf i can play i'm home by myself every damn day so uh yeah i mean i think it's time to go back to play doing what i know how to do and that's what ultimately it came down to but again i think that them them leaking that news messed him up because i think he really wanted to take his time and you know right before he and he wanted to do it around his time to let them, them, them know that he was gonna come back right before free agency started so they can you know start to make their constructed roster to the point where they could ultimately um you know build back and be a contender again i think that's really what it boiled down to so that's why he wanted to do it, but he couldn't do it in that fashion because of the news being leaked. So I think that was the only issue. But I mean, that was like I said, that was my advice from the get-go. I think Tom just said what he wanted to do and just kind of, you know, kind of lie in the weeds and not give a, and be non-committal. And then when the time came, he would break the news like he did. And he's back. <laughs> and he's back. And again, the NFC, this landscape of the NFC is way much, uh, of way, way more wide open, let me say it that way, than it was prior to you know prior to the season before you know last couple of seasons been very competitive you know drew Brees was there you know you know the whole afc west was a juggernaut you know the packers were stacked you know the cowboys were you know although they uh morbid on their achievers they were rolling so you know now everybody in that, in that everybody i just named is outside the maybe the rams are taking a step back you know we're going to talk about that you know in length in the, here in a bit but you know it's those rosters are the same and it can't be because of money. <laughs> so, you know, they they took they shot their shot and it didn't work. You know, you slid into those DMs and, and she didn't respond. So guess what? You back to square one. <laughs> so uh yeah, so Tom is back and uh they've already re-signed Ryan Jensen that got Carlton Davis back. Um, you know, the guy their franchise tag Chris Godwin. So they still got they still got the, the nucleus in the, the intact, the nucleus in the core is intact. I'm sure Gronk will, will walk in the door here shortly. He's coming back for another season at a veteran minimum, so he don't gotta take over much cap, so he can just he can play with his guy, and we they right back like they left something. I'm just saying. So we'll see how it shakes out, but right now, to me, it's a three team race, and I don't I, I'm not really liking the Panthers' chances. You know, they're walk through their division, but when they gotta pay good teams, I'm still con- I'm a little concerned because their roster ain't gonna be the same, and we're gonna talk about them in short order here in one second. Because the Packers, to me, I think I like the Rams with because they they bring back their core and their nucleus. 
You know, still gonna have Aaron Donald, still have Jalen Ramsey and those guys. They're trying to convince Bobby Wagner to come through, you know, because he got let go from Seattle. So, I mean, they could make a savvy move here and there. They resign their right tackle. So they, you know, they're probably the closest to competition right now if you had to put it on paper. So, uh, Tampa Bay is right back like they left something. So let's talk about Aaron Rodgers and talk about the Packers. So after all this song and dance, you know, this whole, uh, you know, it's it's so weird to me. I, I don't know if Aaron just is truly trolling us or he's really trying to play this. I don't want to be the bad guy and I don't want to be the, you know, the center of attention kind of guy. It's, it's kind of like a it's, it's really misleading. It's a very misleading narrative, right? He's trying to come off as being a nice guy and being a being a team guy, being the you know the P, the nice PR guy. But but the core of all this and what actually shakes out, what actually is the truth, leads back to him being the villain. It really does. You know, him ho- holding the team hostage in the league hostage based upon what he's going to do. Was he going to stay? Was he going to go? You know that whole debacle. Then it come down to okay, he's going to resign. He wants to be the highest paid player, but he says no, he doesn't. You know, then it, then it, the news comes out that he's, they reworked his deal and he's getting fifty million dollars a year. He's the highest paid quarterback in the league now at at, at his advanced age and experience. Uh, I don't know. So, you know, I, I'm not sure. You know, they they haven't you know broke the news you know globally that he's you know and it, and it won't be official till Wednesday. Any anyway, the new league year doesn't start till Wednesday. So no matter what he does, whether or not he put pen to paper on that deal or not. It won't be official to Wednesday, right? So, and I think it has to be official by Wednesday based upon his current deal. So, they have to ratify his new deal so it replaces his old deal before the new league year starts or his old deal will take precedence. So, I'm pretty sure that has to be done or is done. So, now that leads to the issue of him making $50 million. And what the Packers also did what he did was franchise tag Devontae Adams because they couldn't work out a long-term deal before the franchise tag deadline. So they, they franchise tagged him and and oh and hope and effort to work out a long term deal because he doesn't have to technically sign a franchise tag to the summer. So, uh, but report came out Monday afternoon that Devontae didn't want to play on the franchise tag, and more and they're far apart on long term deal conversation. You know, twenty nine years old, one of the top of the top receiver in the league. And they're not, they're having issues with uh, money and he's not happy talking about Devontae Adams. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, they re-signed Preston Smith. That was one thing. Uh, they, and Devontae is under franchise tag, but he said he had no intentions of signing it. That's a problem. And they have no other viable receiver. Uh, Mar- uh, Valdez Scanley is a free agent. He's gone. Uh, he clearly he doesn't trust Lazard, although he's still there. Um, Tiny's coming back off injury, but I think he's uh, in free agency. Um, and he's floating into ether somewhere in free agency. I don't know if they're going to bring him back or not. I mean, we still got time. But uh, this team's going to look very much different. They they lost a lineman already. Um, yeah, that team's going to look very much different, uh, you know, because they just don't have the money. And, and this is the problem I have with uh, Aaron and his uh, – quote unquote uh contract. You know, Aaron's been with this team his entire career. He's in his late thirties. He's had multiple contracts with this team. His rookie deal, his long first long term deal. Um I wanna feel like I wanna feel like this is the second long term deal he's had. 
Um, and he re and he just yes, yeah, this is the second long term deal he's had, and he just reworked it um, in his current deal and added years onto it. That's basically what he did. They reworked it, increased the money, and they 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 gave tacked on two more years. So technically, it's two and a half long term deals. And he's he wants to be the highest paid player in the league. So what does that mean? That means that you being the highest paid player in the league means that your team suffers. You know, and I'm going back again to talk about Tom Brady. Tom Brady making ten million dollars a year as a quarterback. Ten million. That's it. And an effort and 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 uh reason he's doing that, the reason behind that is to say he can sign his the talent around him and keep weapons around him and keep enough uh good players around him so he could compete for a title. At this point in this juncture, Aaron should have and has made his money. Why are you taking the max amount of money and resetting the market quarterback market at your age? That's just absolutely ridiculous to me at this point. And and, and I want to label Aaron at this point as the Ebenezer Scrooge of the NFL. You know, if you know, if you're familiar with Ebenezer Scrooge or or or, or Ducktales and or any uh, particular Disney platform where Ebenezer Scrooge is is uh, or Scrooge McDuck is uh, is uh, highlighted, you know that he's very stingy i want all the money and i want all to myself so and nobody else gets any and it's mine my mind nobody else gets any but that's a very lonely and very selfish way of life and i'm sorry aaron you play the ultimate team sport so that particular method of thinking that ideology is going to truly ultimately hurt your team and you're going to ultimately truly regress is my forecast for this team they are they are they have to because if if I'm smart, this is my thing. If I'm Aaron and I and I and I truly care about winning, which I'm I'm questioning at this point. I really think it's just about him and how much he can get and how much he wants for himself. I really think it's all about him, all about himself. And he and Kyrie can be best friends. But this is my problem with it, you know, because you you claim, and this goes back to him being, you know, two faced. I want to call him, you know, I'm going to call him, you know, Cardi Two Face. That's what I'm going to call him. Harvey Two-Face. That's what that's that might be a new name for Aaron Rodgers, Harvey Two-Face. Because he says one thing and he means another a lot of times. You know, <laughs> so he says that he wants to win. He wants to win a Super Bowl. You know, it's about team, right? But you, your actions tell me something different. You know, you 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 let you you demand and you take up all the money in salary cap and then complain that you don't have any weapons. You know, and if nothing else, if Devontae Adams is your guy, right? If he's your guy then why won't you take just a little bit less money and say, hey, I want I want at least in this first year, right? You know, let me take a little bit less money. You can kind of give it to me a little more in the back end and let so we can sign Devontae to a long-term deal and get him his money, right? It's because, I mean, let's be real. This is this is definitely Devontae's last big payday. This is it. There's no more long-term deals after that because he'll be in his 30s. You don't give, you don't give, I don't care how good you are. In this day and age, you don't give, especially with all the new receivers coming to the league, you don't give mid-30-year-old receivers long-term deals. They just don't. You get one-year deals and one-year deals and one-year deals until they feel like you're no longer viable. So this is the last big payday. So if that's your boy, you say, hey, I don't want $50 million. Give me 35 And then the amount of money you have in the cap already and attack them with that 15 right? Give that to Devontae. Let Devontae get that. And he can sign a long-term deal, and he could be here for four more years just like I'm here, and we'll be together for this entirety of our careers together. And I can retire, and he can go on and do whatever he's going to do at that point. 
right? But he will have four years in bliss because my deal is kind of worked in lockstep with his. So they're both expired at the same time. But he didn't do that. He he went about his business and got his money and got all got a large sum of money and then said, okay, you guys figure it out. But I want Devontae Adams back. Come on, man. Come on, Aaron. Come on, man. Like, seriously. So, yet again, Devontae's unhappy because, you know, and, and truly, again, I would, I mean, I'm far from counting people's money and telling people not to make their money, but I'm just looking at it like this. Like, Aaron is not needy. He's not coming into the league poor, you know, trying to get his family out, you know, of, of poor living situations and things of that nature. He's not that. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, between his play and his all the field stuff, right? Hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, you don't have private jets in, in House of Malibu if you don't kind of get, get that kind of money, right? He's set. He's set for life. So, you know, why not take a page out of Tom Brady's book and take a little less money now and get the best team that you can possibly get for your last run, right? You know, resign. Because, I mean, let's be honest. You know, this this is not a destination people want to go to. Like they literally, you even said it yourself. You people only come to Green Bay to play with you. So why not give you the ability from a, a money standpoint, a cap standpoint, to allow that to happen? Because people are not going to come to, the, to that cold weather place with nothing to do for eight months out of the year and and play for pennies. They're not going to do that. I need to be. People need to be well compensated to play in Green Bay. Let's be real. You know, you might be able to pay me pennies in L.A. because I can probably make money in other facets in Hollywood. But there's nothing to do in Green Bay. And there's nothing that, that's going to make me any money in Green Bay. It's just not. And you're the only one with commercials in that whole entire organization. And Devontae got one commercial, I think. But you're the only one that makes any type of money outside of Green Bay. You're the only one. And nobody else makes any money. Mike cares about anybody else in Green Bay but Aaron Rodgers. So, that being said... um. Your selfishness is also going to be the undoing of this team in the next four years. That's what I'm. Well, that's, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line because you are uh, all about yourself and you're getting your two hundred or so million dollar contract to end your career, and didn't worry about the team as a whole, and you just expect the Packers to figure it out. You know, get Devontae signed with pennies and everybody else, but I want a good team around me, or we're not going to do anything. Whew. Boy, if I can cross my eyes, I would. Because, man, oh, man, that's so much of a, a butt-backwards way of thinking that I can't even grasp my thought presses around. I can't do it. So here's what's going to happen. Now, I don't know how they're going to figure it out or work it out because, again, Aaron Rodgers' deal is done. I mean, the reworking of that contract is, is pretty much dead. Like, you know, trying to make trying to free up money for him to be able to get Devontae back in-house. Because Devontae was a long-term deal. Now, whether or not he gets that from Green Bay or somewhere else, it remains to be seen. But regardless of that, you know, if you, you know, let's be honest, if you don't have Devontae, you don't have anything. <laughs> you don't, you know, because I don't know what you may, may or may not get in the draft. But again, that goes back to my point about you having trust issues. So the one guy you do trust is is unhappy. If he doesn't play, then you're screwed. If he does play, then you'll pretty much have what you've been having for the past several years, and that's the regular season success, dominate your division. At regular season success, most likely to be the one or two seed, and, and and get bounced in the playoffs because you don't measure up to all the other teams that are in the playoffs, and that's just fact. That's just fact because the secret's out. 
We watch the 49ers film over and over again. We see exactly how they took Devontae Adams away. We see how they limited Aaron Jones out of the backfield. And you refuse to throw to anybody else in a tight game. So when the chips is down, when this game is tight, you're going to do that, and I'm going to take it away from you, make you beat me another way, and you won't do it. And with a with a, a line that isn't as stout like you've had in years past because your money isn't right and you can't sign good linemen, uh. You know, tight ends position could be shaky. Your number two and three receiver could be shaky. Your defense could be much uh, regressed, you know, in that space. They could take take multiple steps back in their performance because you don't longer have a second pass rusher. Now, I would say, I would argue that Rashad Gary can step up and be that second guy that Zadari Smith isn't going to be anymore. But, you know, he's re-signed a bunch of cap. I'll give you credit for that. You're leading tackler, so you got a good linebacker. But, you know, I mean... Where where else is the production coming from? You know, at some point, you know, Kajaius Alexander has got to rework his deal. Uh, they're going to get that done. That's your number one corner. So, that being said, I think you're just setting yourself up for more of the same. And that's just the bottom line of it all. I mean, I'm just referencing Stone Cold Steve Austin all the way around here today. But, uh, yeah, that's just the bottom line. You're setting yourself up for the same stuff over and over again. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, all right, quick couple of hot topics before we talk about free agency um, as as a whole, right? Okay, so uh, I want to talk about quickly uh, the quarterback moves that have happened and, and what they mean. So, uh, Russell Wilson has since, I don't think we, did we talk about this last week? I can't, uh, can't really recall. But I know we talked about it in sports talk, but I, I'm not sure if we talked about it last week in podcast. But, uh, Russell Wilson is, is a Bronco. Now, um, it'll be official on Wednesday, obviously. Uh, the trade, it will be official. And he'll be a Bronco, aligning up with Nathaniel Hackett and that new uh, coaching staff, um, along with their roster with, uh, you know, Jerry Judy's, Cortland Sutton and company, Javante Williams. Um, you know, still rumors out there that they're trying to lure Bobby Wagner and, and uh, Bob Miller back to uh, play with Russell and play with Denver, um, you know, respectively. Um, if they do that, woo, that's that's a that's a that's a dominant team. It really is. Um, but personally, I really do like this move for Russell. I really do. Um, I felt like that he needed to get out of Seattle and get a fresh start because he ultimately truly was going to be uh he had a ceiling in Seattle. He really did. Uh and working with Pete Carroll and um, you know, they were I hate to use the word dated and old, but they were they were taking their sweet time to come up to modern times because let's be honest, the uh, more the more modern way of football and the way the Chiefs do business, the Bills, the Buccaneers in certain facets, the Rams, um, you know, it's become a young man's coaching game, especially offensively. And Russell felt like that again. It was a ceiling with with Pete Carroll because he was an old school coach, old school defense amount of coach that was really about running the ball, playing solid defense, and uh, playing clock management and that's not the way the game is played anymore. It is not the passing league and Aaron Russell can throw the ball, you know, and he can throw the ball well, and he needed to go somewhere where he was going to be able to do that and be more competitive. And with that defense that they had in Denver last year, um, hopefully they can uh, take strides and take steps up and that's take steps back because the defense coordinator is different, but nonetheless, he has offensive coach. So they can definitely, uh, even if they do regress from a defensive side, they can pick it up and, and pick up the slack when it comes to uh, being productive offensively. So 
I thought it was a great move for Russell, and I, I, I wish him well. I mean, I wish him but so much luck as he is my division, you know, as a Chargers fan. But, you know, as a personal fan of his, I think I really think that was a great move for him, and I think that it will ultimately pan out for both parties that Russell would do better um, and have a, have a higher ceiling when it comes down to the uh, play for the Broncos. And I think that the team did what they needed to do to get the quarterback because that's all they needed. You know, they don't need to keep building through the draft and, and finding – uh, good guys to build around a media quarterback. They needed a hit on the quarterback, and that's what they did. And I give him kudos for that. All right, so Deshaun Watson's news is still looming. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but I want to talk about Carson Wentz. So I want to leave him out. Uh, Carson Wentz was moved uh, from the Colts um, in back-to-back years, moved from the Eagles to the Colts, and now, and now from the Colts back to the NFC East and working for the Washington Commanders now. Now you ask, what do I think about this move? Now, it's a twofold thing. Cause it, and two things could be true. I feel like in one, on one hand, that the commanders have did themselves better at quarterback because they were uh, completely and utterly abysmal at quarterback for years. I mean, years. I mean, we go back to RG3's rookie season, the last time they've had any success at quarterback, and that was only for one year. And I believe he got hurt in that same year towards ACL. So it was short-lived. But before that, it was, I mean, it's been years upon years upon years. I feel like they rivaled the Browns before they got Baker Mayfield, quote, air quote, and and having, you know, terrible luck at quarterback. All right. So I even did a piece on how bad that quarterback situation is. But, uh, you know, go back and look at that in my podcast somewhere. But regardless of that, <laughs> they, they they hit on a, on a, on a more productive quarterback. However... There's still the glaring situation and the glaring uh, thought that why is consequence keep getting bounced around like this? You know, and and I wonder about this because, you know, my thing is this, you know, do teams ultimately badmouth you because they're getting rid of you or are they badmouth you because it's true? Because, you know, two things have come out and, they, and people have been kind of been pretty smart with this and using the same narrative over again. Like, you know, because the Eagles wrote the narrative about how he was, you know, he didn't like to be coached hard and he was a, he wasn't a leader in the locker room. He had um, he didn't really vibe with the guys in the locker room. He was a bit of a locker room problem, you know, kind of a baby in a sense, kind of immature. And then when the Colts got rid of him uh, or traded him. They use the same narrative. They push the same, you know, narrative across the board. Say so he was having the same problems he had in Philly and he had in Indy. Now, was that, again, was that method of, you know, giving you a bad press after you were gone? Because I'm sure they didn't tell the commanders that before they traded him, you know. Oh, by the way, he's bad in the locker room. You just, you know, just, I'm going to let you know what you're getting before you trade for him. Eh, I don't know. But, again, two things can be true. You know, he could be more productive of a quarterback, you know, than the commanders ever had in the last 20 years. And he could still be a locker room problem to have a coaching issue, you know what I mean? Because, you know, let's look at, you know, the way the commanders are currently constructed. And Ron Rivera's a defensive guy. You know, he's not, you know, really offensive-minded. But, you know, the offensive coordinator is a Turner, you know, Noah Turner's son. So he should be able to get, you know, production out of the offense with a decent quarterback, right? You know, they're very savvy and very, you know, well-respected from, from the offensive prowess, right? So – you know, can can he? You know, you can, can you coach him in a way that he doesn't? He responds positively and gets something out of him, despite his issues. You know, again, two things can be true. You know, get production out of him, but he is what he is when it comes down to being a problem. You know, in the locker room, his intangibles, his personality, rubs people the wrong way. You know, so that means that that to me that tells me there's a ceiling there. 
you know, where the, you know, because if he does have those issues, the, the negative stuff is true, but he is more productive. Like, yeah, you win games, yeah, you get to the playoffs, but that's probably where he stops. So, I mean, if the, if the, if the commanders are cool with that, then it was a win for them. If they if it's not, then he'll probably be gone after his contract is up. And they'll be right back to uh, square one. And maybe they'll draft the quarterback in this particular draft just to be has have a succession plan for Carson when he's done. They may do that. You know, they may draft Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis or somebody like that with their high draft pick. It could be. And then Carson would just be that bridge. But we'll see. So Deshaun Watson news, uh, <laughs> briefly. Um, man, this is a... Uh, it's a wild, it's been a wild ride for Deshaun. It really has. Um, and he's at that moment where uh, he could be back to playing football again. Um, on Friday, this past Friday, he, the grand jury decided to not uh, form criminal charges against him based upon the evidence that the prosecution presented to the criminal court and his uh, his lawsuits uh, against uh, the women that accused him of sexual misconduct. So, uh, you know, that pretty much tells people in the most legalized, I'm not a lawyer by any stretch, but it most, that tells most people in legal, in the legal, from a legal standpoint that the evidence that they presented was uh, weak and circumstantial and doesn't warrant him being indicted on any criminal charges. So that uh, paved the way for him to uh, be free and clear of any criminal uh, wrongdoing. Now, you know, people can argue whether that makes him innocent or not. I mean, Adam Schefter kind of got in trouble behind that because he's saying that, you know, he was basically saying that, you know, he's basically advocating that he was innocent based upon a criminal, uh, lack of criminal indictment. And so people kind of drag, drug him on Twitter on that. So he had to do a retraction statement, all that good stuff, but you know, whatever. But at least from the, from a criminal standpoint, he's been exonerated. He they won't be charged with any misconduct. Um, now the civil case is still, you know, on the, on the docket. He got 22 of those to resolve, but those in, in, in retrospect are just what they are. They're about, you know, there aren't any criminal things coming out of this. It's all about civil uh, settlements and money, you know? So, you know, whether he settles that or fight, they find him any, any fault in those particular proceedings will is be left up to the court to decide or whether he ultimately wants to, once they realize, maybe once they realize that the settle, the uh, civil cases won't hold much merit because of the, what the criminal uh, case, you know, discovered. They may decide to take a smaller settlement and just be done with. Who knows? They may settle out of court. I don't know. Um, but again, they, you know, he has to have his day in court in, with these uh, women uh, and in an individual basis to uh, decide that. But um, but yeah, but that's has yet now paved the way to allow him to be uh, pursued again by teams to for trade out of Houston. So uh, right now there are four teams. Two to me seem to be the front runner. Um, the Browns have put their uh, hand in the pot about they want to trade for Deshaun, but I'm pretty sure that the Texans don't want to deal deal him in conference. Um, you have the um, Seahawks. They'll put their name in the hat, um, which they, clearly they need a quarterback. Um, but, uh, I'm not sure how Deshaun feels about that because, you know, he has a no trade clause. Um, so to me, I put them in third in the running. Um, so that leaves the Saints and the, and the Panthers. And the Panthers have literally been on this particular uh, uh, train of trying to trade for Deshaun since he became available or he said he wouldn't want to play for the Texans anymore. And they've been watching this closely, hiring, hiring private investigators, putting their own team on it and watching the situation closely to make sure it panned out so he could play. Right. 
So to me, that seems like that's the front runner team. Although, you know, it's been reports that he didn't want to raise no trade clause last year while the season was going on because he didn't want to mm-hmm. Eric play in Carolina, which is kind of weird because, you know, that he's from Clemson. Well, he played in Clemson and that's ACC country. Carolina's ACC country. And I feel like they would uh, embrace him there because, um, you know, he brought them a national title while he was in college and things of that nature. And he will definitely make the Panthers more viable of a team. I think he'll make them, um, you know, a playoff team. Um, just on his own merit. So um, interesting fact. And again, Matt Rule is always a coach, um, you know, so he would definitely get um, some good, um, I guess you can say, uh, you have a good scheme to run when it comes down to Matt Rule. I mean, I'm, it's still debatable whether or not, we don't know exactly what Matt Rule can or can't do because he hadn't had a quarterback yet. Um, but if we get a quarterback of the caliber of Deshaun Watson, we can really see what his, truly see what his office can bring to the table from a league perspective. So, you know, but you have to get him in the house. So there, you know, the other alternative, he's going to meet with these teams as well to discuss the future of the team and the direction of where the team is going. But you got to look at it from this perspective. You know, if you, you choose New Orleans over uh, Carolina, you know, their co- coach right now is a defensive coach. He's a defensive minded coach. So, you know, you lose the aspect of offense. You know, I'm not sure who they will hire from a coordinator perspective, but that still remains to be seen. You know, because, you know, we go back to him his beef with Houston and their hiring practices from a coach perspective. He didn't like the coaches that they hired. So if he don't have an inkling of what the office coordinator is going to be about and like him, then the Saints will likely be out because he doesn't like exactly what, what direction they're going into. And it might be have issues with the weapons. Is Michael Thomas going to come back healthy? Camaro healthy? You know, what other weapons are we going to have? You know, because right now, to me, the Carolina Panthers had way more weapons. They got CMC, they got uh, Robbie Anderson, they got DJ Moore. I like the tight end. They got Tommy Trumbull and a few others. So, you know, they they are right. I think they got Dan Arnold now. So, yeah, I think they're prime and ready, you know, and they just got to show up their offensive line. And I think they will try to address that in the draft, um, If assuming that they'll have to give up the farm to get them in um, all their draft picks. But, you know, it, uh, again, that that's that could weigh heavily into to it too. But you know, it's just a matter of what he chooses and based upon what's available. You know, because Seattle is a a landing spot, but again, he might have the same issues that Russell had. And who wants to play for the Browns? You know, then that dysfunction historically. You know, so I mean, Kevin Stefanski is a good coach, but they're running team. You know, they're running team. He'll have a Mark Cooper, yes, um, but that's it. <laughs> you know, they, well, he has two tight ends. It's two tight ends, a good line, good running game. And one receiver in Amari Cooper. So, I mean, it's not it's not the worst situation in the world. But, again, I don't think the Texans are going to be that apt to, you know, trade him in conference. But, you know, if that's the only team that's going to – he's going to waive his no trade calls for, he might have that hold that card. So, we'll see how it shakes out. But those are the top four teams vying for his spot. So, I would say that Carolina seems a front runner, but does he like the situation? That, that remains to be seen. Now, some interesting news in these two quarterbacks here. Uh, Mr. Trubisky signed a two-year deal with the Steelers, but I didn't see that coming. I thought he might go to the Giants and compete with Daniel Jones. But he uh, left the Bills and going to go to be, the, hopefully, the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers for the next two years, which is interesting. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not high on Mr. Trubisky at all, but I think that he could be a good bridge quarterback for the Steelers. Um, and I think what they'll end up doing, if, if, I'm, if I had it right, because they don't have to give up any draft capital to get a quarterback at this point, um, would have loved to have seen Deshaun Watson go there, to be honest with you, but there's all no conversation. But if he's there, I think he'll be a good bridge quarterback, and they'll draft one in the first round. So they'll get a Desmond Riddle, maybe Lee Willis, maybe in, in the first round. Um, maybe Pickett. I mean, I'm not as high on Pickett as I am on Ritter and Willis, but 
if they miss on those two, they get picked. He could sit behind Trubisky for a couple of seasons and learn the ropes and and, and end up being a starter. So that's an interesting one. But that's Trubisky is now in uh, in Pittsburgh. And the last one I want to talk about is Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Real quick, like Kirk Cousins, man. Kirk Cousins is a businessman. I tell you this, and I don't know what. I mean, I, I'm going to say he has the gab of a used car salesman. He really does. Like, he can talk you out of your money better than anybody I know. Because you have to understand this. Kirk Cousins is an under 500 quarterback by one game. He is 61 and 62, and I want to say he has three ties on his resume. Right? Never been a perennial pro bowler or, or playoff team contending team that he's ever been on right i think he may have been in the playoffs once or twice in his whole career and has an under 500 record but he's made over 230 million dollars in contracts in his career and he's only been playing since the mid 2010s <laughs> you know he had his rookie deal a fourth round pick from the commanders he played that out had two franchise tags and he got a long-term deal from the vikings that was fully guaranteed and we all know the franchise tag is fully guaranteed too. So he he raked in all that dough. Then he gets a then he turns around and we think they would consider moving off of him. They double down and give him another fully guaranteed deal and put a tag on the extra year to his current deal and give him another thirty five million fully guaranteed. <laughs> I'm just like wow, how he is the all time greatest at getting top dollar and, and franchise quarterback money from mediocre quarterback play. Kudos. Kudos. Get your money, man. Get your money, man. But I'm sorry to say, Vikings, for the next two, three years or even longer, depending on how long the offensive coordinator and the coach are there, because they seem to like him. You know, they, they were there with him when he was in Washington. So however long they're there, it'll probably be Kirk Cousins' time there, and they're not going to go far. Especially the next four years because Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. So, sorry, Vikings fans, but you're stuck with Kirk Cousins. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. He he, he exhausts me as well because he's just not – he has a ceiling, and the ceiling doesn't go very high. You know, it's like that It's like the ceiling in the in the Men in Black 2 with the worms. Like every time you go in, you hit your head, you know, as, as a normal person. It's weird. All right, so let's talk about the quarter. Let's talk about the Cowboys real quick. Um <laughs> – the Cowboys are, are exhausting too because they uh they do things that don't make a lot of sense. Um but um and they expect to progress. I just don't understand. Now I will give them credit for resetting Tank Lawrence. They reworked Tank Lawrence's deal, and I'm still looking for the details of that because I think they reworked his deal, gave him guaranteed money, and they lowered his cap number because his cap number was ridiculously high. Right. But but in the midst of that, they traded Amari Cooper away for pennies. Now, Amari Cooper is one of the best route runners in the, and to me, a number one receiver in the league. And uh, he is Dak Prescott's best friend when it comes down to targeting uh, a particular guy in that offense in the past three years. You know, now he had his injuries, you know, his little knick-knack injuries. He may miss game here and there, and he may, you know, be have, have an issue in the locker room about his vaccination status, most a la Kyrie Irving. But he can play in the league. You know, it's not like Kyrie where he can't play home games. He can play. He's just not vaxxed. So they traded him away for a sixth round pick. I think they paid him, traded him for a fifth round pick and a swap in the sixth round picks. 
And I'm sorry, Amari Cooper deserves better than that. He really does. You you not only trading him, but you're trading him to a place where receivers go to die. Ask Odell Beckham. You trade him to Cleveland. I mean, my God. You can trade him anywhere else. I'm sure, I am sure anybody with $20 million in cap space to spend on Amari Cooper could have gave you a fifth round or sixth round pick for him. I'm sure they would have gladly gave that up. Gladly. But you chose the Browns. And I feel like that was a little bit spiked because we know historically that that receivers in that offense and, and under Stefanski or anybody else with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback, you're going to be a run-dominant team and your receivers are going to be an afterthought. And I'm sorry, Amari deserves better, man. He really does. He's not the bad of a guy. I'm, I'm, I question his vaccination decisions, but outside of that, I think Amari's a good guy. Well, I liked him even when he was in, with, in Oakland when he was with the Raiders, you know. I really think he deserved better. I really do. Uh, or be traded for something higher than a, a fifth-round pick. I really think he deserved better. And the fact that he got traded to the Browns is just, it's just disrespectful. I mean, I would, I would threaten to retire if I was him. I really would. I mean, get me out of here and trade me for somewhere else. Or just let me go on for agency so I could. Because his, his deal is truly voidable. Like, they can cut him today or tomorrow. And don't, it's not punitive. Cut me, let me hit the market, and I'll go choose the team I want to be at. I would, I would ask that because I was like, I don't want to play for you guys. I, I, I will have a hard stance in that, but maybe you're just not that type of guy. But trading me to the Browns is utterly disrespectful. So, and they, all, they, they not only traded, they traded him away for nothing, but they they traded him in uh, in lieu of a guy that just tore his ACL. Now, I like Michael Gallup, but he's not a Mark Cooper. And he's coming off an ACL injury, and it's going to take him a little while to get back to form. Right, so that just leaves you with a healthy C.D. Lamb, and uh, and I have to I have to get you healthy, Michael Gallup. You know, and they were hoping to resign Cedric Wilson, but it didn't happen. He they lost him in free agency. So you have Lamb and a uh, injury uh, returning Gallup as a receiver, and and a franchise tag Dalton Schultz. I'm sorry that defense, that offense is going to look much different than it did last year. I'm sorry, and. That's what you get, Dallas. You really do. And I'm not sure what they're trying to free this cap money up for because they, they you know, Lyle Collins has been out there trying to seek a trade. He might be leaving. You know, Tyron Smith and Zach Martin aren't getting younger. They stay injured. You know, Connor Williams, may he be there, may go. Their old line could be in shambles. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. So that leads me to believe that the whole entire NFC East is wide open. And we could be talking about now, again, again I told you Carson, Carson Wentz could be an issue um, character-wise, but he could mess around with that defense he has and that and those weapons he have in, in Washington. Could mess around and beat and beat a division winner again, like a lot two seasons ago. And the Cowboys could be fighting for a wildcard place, place or not in the playoffs at all. It all depends because I really feel like Dak Prescott's success was indicative of Amari being on the team. The moment we got Amari Cooper, his 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 production went up. When Amari's not on the field, his production wanes. And he's going to have to figure it out because if he don't, this is going to happen. They're going to regress badly and they're going to lose games. And Mike McCarthy is likely going to be fired. He may not make it to the whole season. That's my take. That's my take. All right. So let's talk about free agency. Let's get into it finally. Uh, big day. <laughs> big, big day. Uh, when it comes down to uh, <laughs> what happened in free agency. Man. So let's run down a list. Let's run down a list. Um, top to bottom, big signings. So the Pats, 
they resigned Devin McCourty. That's the only real big splash they made up to this point. Um, they resigned Devin McCourty. He's coming back for another year. Um, it's cute. His kids uh, told him, told the world through social media where he was going. It was cute. Uh, kudos to the Bengals. They signed two interior offensive linemen, Alex Kappa uh, and Ted Karras. Ted Karras comes from uh, the Patriots. Uh, uh, he's a Bill Belichick disciple, so he should be solid and disciplined uh, lineman for them interior. And Alex Kappa came from the Bucks. He's the, he's the Bucks guard in their Super Bowl team. So they got two good. They listened to what I was saying so far. Still need the right tackle. And maybe a center, but they got two guards that are legit. So you pair them up with Jonah Williams on the left side, you get a right tackle, then we're in business. Uh, they did lose uh, CJ Uzama, uh, their tight end, but um, they did they did address the elephant in the room. They still got to get one more in the draft potentially, and there is some there. I think even when they're picking low, they can still get a good one in the first round, especially from a right tackle perspective. So. I'm 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 okay with you Bengals right now. You you you're addressing what you have and your your problems that you have and you're tackling them head on. So I'm giving you a scotia credit here in regards to uh what you're doing from free agency up to this point. So we'll see what he do going forward. Um the Browns didn't make a lot of moves, they just franchise tag David Njoku and, and they traded for Mari Cooper. Um yeah, still upset about that. <laughs> you know, because Amari's just not gonna get the love that he deserves in, in Cleveland. He's not. He's not. Uh, the Steelers have made on one move only in this juncture. They re- they signed Mitch Trubisky as, as their starting quarterback, most likely, um, going uh, into the season so far. Um, so that's their move uh, for the moment, you know, up to this Tuesday morning. So I, I was literally trying to count as much how much money that the Jacksonville Jaguars had. I really I really was baffled by how much money they had to spend in, in free agency because I felt like every hour on the hour, they were signing somebody new, <laughs> you know, it started with Christian Kirk, they landed Christian Kirk to a massive deal. I think it's like the fully, the full amount is like $84 million. Um, but it's incentive based. So it's like, it's like a base of 70 something million, 72 million. And it can go up to 84, but a massive deal for a slot receiver from the, from the, uh, Cardinals that never have a thousand yard season. Massive deal. Now, I think Christian Kirk is underrated. I really think he's a really good squad live receiver, has really good speed. He runs really good routes, has good agility. I like him. But the Jags went big and spent big money on him in free agency. And I really feel like he chose the Jags for one simple reason. He they were gonna he was gonna get that most money out of them that he could. Nobody else was willing to pay that much for him uh in free agency, although they were he did have a lot of interest from other teams. They got everything for the Giants. What a good deal. Uh, he's going to play. I'm not sure. They were talking about him playing slot receiver or wide receiver versus tight end. But if he plays tight end, he's, you know, he's a definitely a matchup nightmare um, with his speed and athleticism. So they got hit. They got a, a safety valve for Trevor Lawrence. They went out and got Brandon Scherf from the, from the commanders. They're the office was pro bowl offensive guard um, to show up their offensive line interior. Um, then they went out and got a Foy Oluwakon, uh the tackling machine linebacker. And he signed the Foley of Fadokasi, a D lineman from the Jets. Um, so we're talking about th- one, two, three, four, five big names in one day. And they all got most of year deals of $30 million or more. So the Jags spent big money. The Broncos, the Broncos just got Russell Wilson at this juncture, although he's trying to woo Bobby Wagner, Von Miller into it. But so we'll see how that, we'll monitor that situation. 
the Chiefs uh, let Tyron Matthew walk in the wind, basically, because they resigned. They signed. They didn't resign, but they signed Justin Reed to a long-term deal uh, to replace uh, as a free safety to replace Tyron Matthew. Um, now I question that move, although I'm not I'm not mad about it because clearly the Chargers can benefit from this. But I really feel like the the things, the tangible things that Tyron did for the Chiefs uh, in that defense was very undervalued. And I think they're going to understand what he meant to that defense in this particular season upcoming, because guess what? Especially with the fact that you have better offensive uh, teams in the division this year than last year, because look what the Broncos have. They, have a new, they got a quarterback now. You know, Justin Herbert's a year. Uh, he's got Mike Williams back, and he's uh, they go, they're adding weapons as we speak um, to the offense. So the offense is going to be better. Uh, next year, so you have to deal with those two teams and everything else. Then you got uh, Josh McDaniels' offense in, in in the Raiders, so you're gonna see and understand really quickly how valuable. Now, I like Justin Reed; he's good, but he's not Tyron Matthew. So you're gonna see real quick how valuable he was to that defense. It wasn't just about his skill set and his size; it was or his playmaking ability. It was just about his intangibles and how you galvanize the defense and, and get them to play better. You know, those leadership qualities he had was was definitely undersold in that regard. So, I mean, we'll see. But they got Justin Reed on a three-year deal. And they franchise tag Orlando Brown. So, we'll see. Uh, they got a left tackle for the foreseeable future. The Raiders made one move and resigned Max Crosby to a long-term deal. They got that pass rusher locked up for a while. The Chargers, man. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in Chargers Corner uh, coming here in a minute. But they uh, resigned Mike Williams. They traded for Khalil Mack for a second-round pick in the, in the mid-round pick. I want to say like a fifth-rounder or a sixth-rounder, something like that. Second-rounder in the, in the, yeah, the third-rounder next year, maybe? Something like that. Then they re-signed they, 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 uh, they re Mike Williams, and they landed J.C. Jackson, the corner from – Pro Bowl corner from the Pats. It's a long-term deal. And then they signed Sebastian, uh, Sebastian Day from the Rams, who played under Brandon Staley uh, last year. So uh, – they got a corner, an uh, outside edge rusher, and uh, a D- interior D lineman all in one day. <laughs> so I'm just saying. I'm going to talk about it a little later uh, in regards to uh, Chargers corner. But, yeah, they landed big. Uh, the Cowboys re-signed Michael Gallup, franchise tag, Dalton Schultz. We talked about that. Eagles franchise tag, Jason Kelch. No, they signed this because to a long-term deal along with Hushon Reddick. They got an edge rusher and a center back. Commanders just traded for Carson Wentz. Bears land or Larry Ogunjobi, D lineman. That's the only moves they made. They Packers brought back Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, franchise tag, uh, Devontae Adams, uh, signed Devontae Campbell and Preston Smith. Vikings re signed Kirk Cousins. Good luck. Uh, Buccaneers, Tom Brady comes back, franchise tag, Chris Godwin, Ryan Jensen, and Carl Davis signed long term deals. Uh, good for them. Cardinals brought back James Conner after losing Chase Edmonds to free agency to the Dolphins. Um, and uh, Zach Ertz came back on a long-term deal. Uh, they traded for him. And Colt McCoy came back as a backup quarterback to uh, hopefully Kyler Murray. We'll see how that checks out in that drama. All right, so 49ers signed a corner, which they very much, much, much needed. Uh, uh, Tradarius uh, Ward from the Chiefs. So they lost a corner and Tyron Matthew. My God. Chiefs, good luck. Uh, Divas won a great on in the first place. But the 49ers bolstered their secondary by getting Tradarius Ward. So that's a good look for them. The Rams re-signed right tackle in their uh, in their uh, interior lineman Brian Allen. Uh, Joe Noteboom is their right tackle. They resigned him. Uh, the Seahawks made some different, different, interesting moves. Of course, they traded for Russell Wilson away, so they got in that trade. No offense, Shelby Harris, um, and they re-signed Al Woods and Quandre Diggs and Will Disley, and they signed Sidney Jones to a deal. So they got 
uh, safety a corner um, inside, two tight ends, and, and two interior linemen. Um, so they just got to figure out that linebacker position um, from their defense. And it might be uh, might be on to something. So, yeah. Yeah, those are your free agents and moves, man. So it's definitely uh, hot and heavy for the first day, man. I really feel like the Jags and the Chargers made the biggest splashes. Um, and Tom Brady coming back was probably the biggest news. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how things shake out, man. But, um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what it's, what it's, what it's going to bring to the table um, when it comes down to, uh, um, you know, free agency for the next couple of days and what's going to happen when the league actually opens because we still got a lot of names out there. You got Toronto Armstead and a few others that's still on the docket, Tyron Matthew, a bunch of other people that still haven't signed. So, Will Willie land and we'll keep tracking it for you. But that's going to wrap up NFL headlines, man. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get right into Chargers Corner. It is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, I'm just here so I don't get fined. So all my Lockdown Defense goons and goblins, Coach Defense here, wanted to remind you that our weekly debate show, Sports Talk with Coach and Kirk, broadcasts live each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and simulcast on Twitch and YouTube. We bring you chase down blocks and decleating content each and every Saturday. And so I'm here to tell you, keep your head on the swivel because you never know exactly what Coach Curry and I will say next. Each and every week, we break down hot topics of the NFL and NBA of the week in the world of sports. And if you haven't seen the show by now, it, one ad can honestly truly not do it justice. So it'll be your best interest. It'll be your best interest to tune in live or on replay each and every week for authentic, honest, and real opinion that goes on in the sports world. And we might have the Rose Light Co- Light Skin Coalition uh, week to week for being extra. So the show goes live each and every week on YouTube and Twitch. Search Lockdown Davis Podcast on YouTube and follow us on twitch.tv forward slash Lockdown Davis Sports. Live and direct each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Subscribe to all our platforms, turn your notification bells on. And if you missed any part of the show, the replay goes live on all platforms at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. On uh, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. So check us out there. Check us out there. And as next, I had a bonus. If you want to get featured as a mailback question on the show live, email us at lockdowndefensports at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter at Lockdown Defense. Uh, for all questions, must be submitted by Saturday at 5 o'clock for a chance to be on the show each week. As always, Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt, each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, dual cast on Twitch and YouTube. Coach Curry and I are just here so we don't get banned. Now back to the show. back with Chargers Corner. It's the Lockdown Defense Podcast. I am your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man, it's been a while, man, since we've done a Chargers Corner. And I th- had to do it this week. I mean, it was no other week to do it than this week. It really hasn't, hasn't been a week like this in Chargers news maybe ever. I won't go out on limb and say ever. And so we had to bring Chargers Corner to you this week uh, just because of the free agency moves that have been made in epic fashion when it comes down to Chargers news. I'm telling you, man. It is definitely a sight to see. I'm proud of Tom Telesco. I'm really 
proud of the front office. I give all praise to them for being aggressive and going after it and utilizing every bit of that cap space that we had. I think we had we went into the uh, free agency period with I want to say the second or third most cap space in the league. And boy, did they take advantage! I like to say I think you know as I said in the previous segment, you know that uh, them us the Chargers and the Jags made the biggest splashes day one, and boy did it it didn't disappoint. And they addressed the needs that they had on the docket and they addressed them in a big way. We're talking about perennial Pro Bowl All Pro players here, you know, and <laughs> that isn't lost on me that they are definitely trying to seize the moment. They see the way the division is turning. And they want to be right there and and lockstep with the the top tier teams in the division. And we could literally compete with anybody. Um, top to bottom. The Chiefs on down. We can compete with anybody. So we all know, you know, in the last season, you know, having, you know, the biggest frustration with this team is the simple fact that they had a defensive coach and the defense was the worst part of this team. You know, in all, in all honesty, that was the worst part, and and that's very very uh uh frustrating as a fan because you said we got a defensive coach, a defensive minded coach that had the number one defense in the Rams last year, and and they were flourishing. You know, and he has success in every place he's gone, position coach or defensive coordinator, and he comes here and he does not get the production and the and the level of play out of the defense from a scheme standpoint that he did with other teams, but. What it would ultimately boils down to is always twofold when it comes down to the league. It's personnel and it's coaching. And in a subcategory that is personnel that fits your scheme and uh, play calling and, and schemes that are driven to be able to stop and stymie the offense in large spaces. So if you don't have those things in tandem, those four things or two things and two subtitle things in lockstep, you can't be productive in this league, especially where it's an offensive league. It's offensive minded, it's offensive catered towards, you know, in, in large space. So if you don't have a dominant defense, a team that can do something, at least one particular aspect of the game really well, rush the pass or stop the run, defend the pass well, you got to have one of those, at least one of those things that you do really well in order to be able to make waves and get stops on defense. So if you don't have those things in, in house, then you will struggle. No matter how good, you, how well you call plays, I've been a coach in my in my in, you know in in past years, and I know that the teams I've had good personnel and good scheme. My scheme is always good, but my personnel isn't always good. So when my personnel matches my scheme, we win. Want to stay titled off that same premise, but I I bring the same scheme the very next year with less personnel, we struggle because again those things are in tandem. So. I say all that to say that the charters are starting to get to the point where they're building personnel and they're getting, getting guys in house that is going to fit Brandon Staley's schematic uh, principles and allow them to be able to be able to be effective and execute on the defensive side and get stops and, and turn the ball over and get sacks and rush the passer and things of that nature. That's going to allow them to be effective because if the defense can be any semblance of uh top 10 defense along with Justin Herbert's offense and Joe Lombardi's play calling based upon what they did last year, despite the woes on defense, you know, that's a recipe for a lot of wins. It really is. So let's dig into the idea of what happened in free agency just this past uh, week so far and on Monday. So, well, 
let's rewind before free agency even jumped off uh, where you could start to uh, work deals out because you know, the tampering period is at this particular st- stretch and then on Wednesday, the league actually f- becomes official and those deals become uh, binding. So you had the Mike Williams uh, long-term deal ratified. You had that uh, done prior to the free agency period starting. So we start with signed Mike Williams' long-term deal, which is a good move. Now, I mean, I was curious about whether they uh, either – let him walk in, in 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 lieu of bringing somebody else in, you know, like an Amari Cooper or maybe Devontae Adams if he was available, things of that nature. But or Chris Godwin, they really had Chris Godwin on their radar, but Chris Godwin got franchise tax on so Devontae, so that left them with the you know basically the you know easy you know decision to resign Mike, you know, and him work, loving the fact that he likes to be. Uh, uh, thrown to by Justin Herbert makes it made an easy decision. He loved Justin Herbert, wants to keep working with Justin. He signed a, a, a long term deal was somewhat team friendly in a sense, um, and his cap number was low in the first year or two in his deal. So a team friendly cap deal, and he got his guaranteed money, and he's here for three more years at least. So that was a great deal. Then the big splash came in the trade right after that. Like we didn't even let the story fester in our minds about well, Mike being extended, and they traded for Khalil Mack. Now, this is definitely a Brandon Steady move because he worked with Khalil Mack in Chicago as a linebackers coach when Khalil first got there. And his most productive year it was when Staley was there. So we're hoping that he, one, can stay healthy, two, can be productive like he was when Staley was there, which means that him teamed up with Joey Bosa on either end of this rush defense is going to be a problem for quarterbacks in the league. I'm here to tell you. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, uh, you know, Drew, Derek Carr, you know, all the quarterbacks in the AFC and the NFC, NFC teams we play, you're on notice. If we can stay healthy, you're on notice that the pass rush is going to be much, much different this year than it was in previous years. And you're going to be able to be able to, which I love about this situation, is you're going to be able to get, be able to get pressure with four a lot and drop most of the people in coverage and make it difficult for people to get passes off easy. I love it. I love it. So, those two splashes alone made it a win for me from free agency, but you know, boy, boy, they were not done. Money was still out there on the books, and they were going to make a big splash. Now, it was widely rumored that J.C. Jackson was, Jackson was on their radar uh, far from a corner perspective, and we did need a corner. We had Michael Davis, lost Chris Harris in free agency, and we have Asante Samuel Jr. Um, coming off his rookie season. Um, but we still felt like we needed that number one dominant corner, and a guy that was a little bit younger than – Casey Hayward and Chris Harris and guys that were a little bit past their prime from a corner perspective. Uh, you know, a guy that was coming off a pro bowl and uh, a guy that, that they can cover and be a lockdown defender, pun intended, uh, you know, for us in that defense. And we went out and paid $80 million to get JC J. Jackson, Mr. INT on the, on his Twitter and Instagram handle. So uh, now I will say this. I think I said this on Twitter uh, yesterday, but I'm going to say it again. It's worth, it's worth noting that I've always been concerned about Bill Belichick's system, guys. Because J.C. Jackson, it was an undrafted free agent that Bill Belichick turned into a pro bowler in his system. So the question is, did he learn how to play corner holistically or did he learn how to play corner in, in Bill Belichick's system? That remains to be seen. Now, granted, now he's not leaving a Bill Belichick system and going to a, a bargain basement system. Brandon Staley's system is really good. So is the question is, can he continue and maintain that success that he had in New England, outside of New England, and be a good dominant corner leaving there and 
Because at this point, you know, you're pretty much stuck with him. So he needs to be productive. He needs to be a number one corner. So if you could pair him up with uh, Michael Davis on the outside, potentially, and let Asante Sammy play slot or, or or vice versa, then you have a great nickel package, you know, to 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 uh, literally um, frustrate, you know, people's passing game, you know, throughout the season. You know, so, and, you know, for J.C. Jackson's perspective, he's never been an injury-prone guy either. So if he can, he's a healthy guy and he's a productive guy, that's a great signing for the for the Chargers. So, again, you know, taper my expectations because he is a Belichick guy. And we haven't seen him outside of Belichick's system. But if he can just flat-out play corner, he learned how to play corner from uh, just a, a, a basic schematic and uh, fundamental uh, uh, mindset, fundamental uh, reasoning, He's, he's been able to be a, a legit fundamental cover corner um, in Bell Belichick's system, then it works out well for the Chargers, and he will be the number one guy for the foreseeable future, which is definitely a win. Then, in the most surprising news of the day to me, because I really feel like once they signed J.C. Jackson, it was pretty much done from a money plan standpoint um, as far as big splashes, but uh, they went out and got a defensive tackle by the name of Sebastian Joseph Day. <laughs> and... Uh, I didn't see that move coming. It was a wish list uh, item for most Chargers fans that I saw on Twitter. But I was like, there's no way we're going to be able to get him too, money-wise. Now, but they, they've they been making money work all all week. You know, they made it work with Mike. They made it work with Khalil. They made it work with uh, JC. And now they're making it work with Sebastian. And Sebastian played with uh, Brandon Stelly last year in L.A. Um, playing with the Rams. So he knows the system already. So that's a, another win from interior lineman perspective. So... The Chargers are going big on defense, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Now, there are still some needs here. There still are some needs here. So after we gush over the idea of what we got in free agency, right, you know, and we could see some more happening because they, they're trying to lure a Bobby Wagner, you know, over because he wants to play in L.A. It's rumored. So we, that could happen. I'm not banking on it because we have interior linebackers already, but – you know, we're still waffling about the whole idea we're going to re-sign Kaiser White or not. We don't know. But you still have Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil, and Nick Neiman in-house. So you have three good interior linebackers already. So I would love to see a Bobby Wagner come in because he could be a, a really good mentor and an all-pro player for uh, this particular defense and just give you that much more production from a linebacker perspective. And I think Drew and Kenneth can benefit greatly from his teaching. So that would help the future as well as the present. So we, if they do land them, then that's great. But I mean, I'm not looking forward to be a hot topic unless he takes an air quote hometown discount. So it's, it's, it's a definitely a a need or a a desire, but it's not a need in that space, but we'll see how that, how that shakes out. But I would definitely say that you still need to shore up the interior line. Cause they got Austin Johnson, another guy from the giants and free agency as well. Um, Don't know much about him. Um, He's bounced around. He's drafted by Tennessee and then he was uh, traded or picked up by the Giants. And uh, I don't really see him have a whole lot of production in either space. Um, he's really an interior guy. Maybe he's more of a run stopper. Not really, you know, he's 317 pounds. He's maintained his weight, but he's not that, not a real big strong guy either. Some got questions about him. So, you know, I'll kind of put him and lump him in the same breath as Jerry Tillery in a sense where he can kind of be effective in certain spaces, but he's not uh, a big splash kind of guy. So right now you, on the interior D-line, you have, if you started today, you would have, uh, Joseph Day, uh, Tillery, and uh, Johnson in the interior. Then you have Mack and Bosa on the edge, and likely Tranquil and Murray on the interior as your front seven, which is 
Nothing to sneeze at. Nothing to sneeze at. But I still feel like that you have the ability to add uh, Jordan Davis uh, or a, Cal- a, a Georgia lineman out of the draft at, with your first round pick. I think you could still land that that guy. I really think you could. Um, now, just a question of what they do when it comes down to uh, that first round pick up. But, it, you know, because it's been talks whether they, they would go receiver um, and, and get a slot guy, a speed guy that go along with Keenan and then Mike. Because I really feel like you need a speed guy. They had Jalen Guyton there, um, which he is. He can run. But um, I think they might be looking for a more polished, um, you know, faster, more refined, and younger route runner um, in that space. It could be looking at that. Maybe Olave or somebody like that um, in the draft that could uh, fall to them at 17. Um, but you also have to address the right tackle space. Um, I think you have to bring back uh, O'Day or Boucher. I think you never do that um, in certain regards, some type of uh, um, free agent deal. And you got to address the right tackle because Brian Balaga has not worked out for this team. Uh, he has signed a three-year deal and he hasn't played uh, a whole season or even half a season since he's been in L.A. He was hurt for all of last season outside of one game. Um, in the season before that, he played uh, half the season. He got hurt and didn't return in that season either. So he hasn't been productive and really earned his uh, money in a sense um, under the three-year deal he's been under. So and he's at that moment where he could be cut for a little cap hit. And I think you're free up about $10 million in cap. So you could do that and turn and flip that and maybe land a Trent Brown or, or another right tackle in free agency, or you could draft one. So that'd be, that's another question. Do you, you know, it just really just depends on who falls to you at 17, you know, because honestly, truly I'm a defensive guy. So I would love Jordan Davis at, 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 at that nose tackle. So you would line up, we would kind of move, push Austin Johnson out their way. You would have Sebastian at the end, Tillery at the end, Jordan Davis in the middle, Mack and Bosa on the edges. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck running the ball there. And that would totally flip the idea of us being a totally porous run defensive team last year to one of the tops uh, by, the, by the numbers and by the personnel in, in, in one year. And I'm sure that would, that would make Chargers fans happy across the board. So that's my thought. But you could go a multitude of different ways. Um, you also could try to move up in the second round and pick up another guy. Uh, let's say hypothetically you could get uh, Olave in a slot for or right tackle in the first round. And then you subsequently move back into the second round by some means and trade and pick up a, a, another position of need, D-tackle or, uh, or a lineman if you picked up a wide receiver in the first. So that's an option. But but those two, those three areas are biggest glaring needs that need to be addressed. On top of the fact that you have to get a, a legit number two running back because Austin Eckler can't. And I've been saying this for years that he cannot, at his stature, carry the load and the brunt of a number one running back. You just you just can't. He's a great back, strong, athletic, great guy. I love his skill set, but you need somebody to compliment him. That's why I feel like you get the best out of him when you you coupled him with Melvin Gordon because Melvin Gordon can be the the uh, power back and he, and you know, or the one cut back and he can be the finesse back and your third down pass catcher. But you have to couple with somebody else that's productive. I'm not saying, cause no, cause this is probably gonna make Chargers fans mad. Cause a lot of people don't like Melvin Gordon, but bringing him back with somebody like him back into the fold is productive will definitely help the offense. So I would look from a, for a backup running back, a right tackle, find an interior guard and a D, another D lineman and we can go to work. And that's where I'm at with it. Everything else is pretty much showed up. Also, the tight end position. I will. I, will, I won't leave that out. And I feel like you could address that in the third round because I feel like the the tight end position isn't a position of high uh, caliber. You know, people don't typically draft that in the first or second round. So you can get 
one of those guys that's that's in the draft, a sneak a sneak pick, you know, from uh from the third round perspective and get a tight end in that space that go along with uh Donald Parr and what you could pair him up with those and those sets and get a you know a legit rookie tight end that could come in and be your blocker and your pass catcher. So, you know. You know, I think Trey McKinney can can take a sleep this year as well. So I like his uh, ability to uh, ascend and, and be more and have a more uh, involved role in the office as well. So, yeah. So I would say that you know, if you drafted, if you picked up a right tackle, you drafted a D lineman, uh, a tight end, and a wide receiver in those three rounds, I'd be very happy. And but and that's my wish list. But yeah, that's where we land at, man. But. You know, even if they don't make any drastic moves from here on out, they've definitely won, you know, free agency from uh, uh, a conference perspective, or at least I want to say at least a, a division perspective. And you know, it's hard be hard pressed to say that anybody else has made a big made bigger moves at this moment. You know, so we're definitely going all in and trying to be um, at right after that division title and the toughest division in the in the in the league. Right here and now, and they season the moment, and I definitely give them credit for doing that, and keep going and make as much uh, ways as you can, and show up this roster, and uh, we can be ultimately ready to roll and be competitive day one. I'm liking it, so that's where I'm at with it, man. So uh, that's gonna wrap up Chargers Corner for this week. Uh, we're gonna wrap up the podcast with a four quarter closeout. Stay tuned for that. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Back with a fourth quarter closeout is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Uh, with another spirited podcast we've had this entirety of this day on Tuesday. Free agency is booming. NBA is rocking. There's a lot of things happening in the world of sports here that we're covering. And we try to bring as much as possible to you in this particular content. So I appreciate everybody indulging me up to this point. And allow for this context to bless your airways and bless your minds and bless your sports hearts and, and kind. So we can definitely keep this thing rocking and rolling as we wrap up episode 77 in the books, man. Definitely appreciate everybody's love and support. It's been rocking with me since day one. The views are going up and up. Subscribers are going up and up. We're definitely starting to break through and get to uh, the next echelon of achievement when it comes down to this platform. So... As always, like, comment, subscribe. Let me let people know we're out there. Give me those likes on those videos. Uh, let the algorithm know that we're uh, moving and we get into different spaces in YouTube as well. So uh, always do that and make sure you subscribe if you haven't. All right, so we can get into the fourth quarter closeout where we give our awards for Breakout Player of the Week and Lockdown Defender of the Week, man. So let's do it. All right, so uh, Breakout Players of the Week are Trey Young and Nikola Jokic. Uh, Trey Young has been averaging 36.8 points a game this uh, stretch of games from Tuesday to uh, Tuesday. Uh, 4.3 rebounds and 9.8 assists in the stretch run uh, for the Hawks making their uh, play for the playoffs. So definitely shouts out to Trey Young for getting, uh, I think he has two 40-point games in that time frame as well. 
So definitely putting up big numbers uh, for the Hawks. Uh, Got to give it up to the Joker as well. And Nikola Jokic has been averaging 27.3 points per game, 13.3 rebounds a game, and 7.8 assists. So that man can do it all. And has to have doing it all because Jamal Murray hasn't been there. Hopefully we can get him back here soon in the next couple of weeks, man. That would be definitely a blessing for the Nuggets. But for right now, Joker's holding the business down, and he's definitely doing it to the tune of almost a triple-double averaging per game. Nice work, Joker. All right, now lockdown defenders of the week are Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside has amassed 40 rebounds over the stretch week, eight total blocks, and two total steals. So he's been definitely putting in big work time work for the Jazz, uh, filling in for Rudy Gobert um, in spaces in that particular, uh, uh, I guess you say, team dynamic. And he's definitely been putting up big defensive numbers uh, for them as an added bonus to uh, what Rudy Gobert's numbers are each, each and every day. And uh, Drew Holiday, uh, got to give Drew Holiday credit. Um, 14 rebounds and no, no blocks in this particular uh, outfit, but he has 12 steals in a week, which means he had four games. He's having three steals a game. That's crazy. That's crazy. He's having three steals a game. I got to give him credit for that. So to Trey Young, Nikola Jokic, and Hassan Whiteside, and Drew Holiday, you get our awards for Breakout of Player of the Week and Lockdown Defender of the Week. And uh, we don't have a big dummy of the week. Uh, it's the first week, maybe in the entirety of his seventy-seven episodes, that we've have a big dummy of the week. I, I, I gave people a break. Uh, it wasn't a whole lot of you know serious drama going on this week, as far as uh, idiotic things that we've that people have done. So we're gonna give people a break this week. But I will say this: that Kyrie Irving, you need to get vaccinated, sir. I talked about that at length as well. You need to get vaccinated, sir, and be a team player. Um, same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you shouldn't have taken all that money and expect people to. Uh, come play with you for pennies and expect to win. So, I mean, those two dynamics and those two play, players and the way they conduct business and how they're very uh, self-centered is going to play out uh, not the way you want it. So I would definitely say as my advice to you guys, yeah, I would do things a little bit differently and be more about uh, selflessness versus selfishness. And you can, uh, you can maybe get past that uh, stigma of where you at as far as your championships are concerned because you both hold one apiece, and I don't think you're going to get any more. That's just my take on it. But as always, appreciate everybody's support out there. Now, uh, we'll be back next week. As, as always, Tuesdays, 10 a.m., and always live and direct on all your popular platforms we get your podcast from. So until then, I'm your host, Coach Defense. Step up and lock it down. <laughs>